Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever, and this is episode 129. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash theweekendout. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Jason Devon for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Crocoduck for retweeting the link to last week's episode. All right. Speaking of last week's episode, I think I have a correction to make. I was talking about the C.J. Whirlman uh, plagiarism controversy, and while doing so, I mistakenly referred to Godless Spell Checker as Godless Spell Check. I believe Godless Spell Checker is an atheist blogger and a fellow podcaster, I believe. But the reason why I brought it up is because I think they were one of the first, if not the first source, to um, make accusations of plagiarism against uh, C.J. Whirlman. Uh, but anyway, so judging by the title of today's episode, Pascal's Wager Blows Chicken Chunks, um, it's probably evident that at some point I'm going to discuss Pascal's wager. But I think I'll save it for a little later because there's a couple of other things I want to cover as well. First up, I want to talk about a colorful character named Dr. Chaps. We just had the midterm elections and a former naval chaplain, I believe uh, the Navy was the uh, branch of the military he was with, uh, by the name of Gordon J. Klingerschmidt was just elected to the Colorado House of Representatives. What makes the story somewhat controversial is that uh, Klingerschmidt is stridently anti-LGBT, and I think it'd be safe to call him a fundamentalist Christian. Cenk Huger from the Young Turks has pointed out that it's kind of humorous, uh, that he's staunchly anti-gay, and he's basically nicknamed himself, or others have, uh, Dr. Chaps. Yeah, I know it's short for chaplain, but still it kind of calls to mind images of uh, like a stereotypical uh, village people-esque gay guy with like assless chaps and a leather cap. Uh, are all chaps technically assless? <clears throat> My apologies for the uh, vulgarity. But on a serious note, it's pretty scary that this guy got elected because he exhibits some really, for lack of a better uh, term, uh, medieval <laughs> superstitious religious thinking. Uh, there was recently a case where a pair of young twins made the news because one of them, uh, as it turns out, is transgender. And good old Dr. Chaps actually recommends that the child probably needs to be exercised. Not exercised, E-X-E-R. <laughs> like, they need exercise, but exorcised. Like, the, the, the kid needs an exorcist because they're transgender. And I know I've been uh, criticizing TYT a little bit recently because I thought they were a little off in their criticism of Sam Harris. But nevertheless, I'm still a fan, and I'm going to play a short clip of Jenk talking about the case of these twins and Klinger Schmidt's reaction. Uh, so here we go. These guy, guys like Gordon Dr. Chaps Klinger Schmidt. How is that not a fake name? How is that not a name out of Austin Powers? 
Dr. Chaps. Okay, so guess which way Dr. Chaps is going to go. Of course, Dr. Chaps is going to claim that he's really against gays. Okay, so and he's going to try to prove that. So this is the lunatic uh, that wrote about a transgender girl, and they're twins. Uh, they're in Maine. Now, why he decided to speak up about this when he's in Colorado, I don't know, except that he hates all gay people and all people that aren't just like him. So it, one of the girls uh, was transgender. Uh, they are twins, and here's what he said. Since this transgender girl had an identical twin brother, he said, for one of them to suddenly start dressing like a girl, it's not just a choice, but it's a demonic spirit. It's easy to say that one of those two boys is possessed by a demon. Okay, so what should the parents do about it, Dr. Chaps? He's named himself Dr. Chaps. Come on, dude. Anyway, all right. He says, and really what the parents ought to do is take that boy to an exorcist. Yeah, of course they should. Yeah. Take that boy to a minister or at least discipline the boy. Maybe give him a spanking. Probably Dr. Chaps is looking forward to giving him a spanking, but that's a different matter, right? So now, look, you say, why do we even know about this guy? Because it's not just that he was taking pot shots at random people. I mean, way to attack the powerless, by the way. Somebody's going through a, a difficult time in their lives trying to find their identity, and you want to go spank them. Okay, get your kicks somewhere else. But of course, he also took on the president. Uh, Raw Story explains that a notoriously anti-LGBT Klingenschmidt came to a national attention last year when he attempted to exercise a demonic spirit from President Barack Obama. Okay, now remember, this guy's running for office. I'm going to tell you what happened in a second, okay? But one more here. Gordon Dr. Chaps Klingenschmidt also said, We pray against the domestic enemies of the Constitution, against this demon of tyranny who is using the White House occupant, that demonic spirit is oppressing us. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs believes the president is literally possessed by Beelzebub. Now, if you couldn't tell that he won, you're not paying attention. He didn't just win, he won with 70% of the vote. That guy is now a state representative in Colorado. Colorado, you must be so proud. The whole country is proud of these lunatics that we elected. Now, well, what more do I need to say? I think Jenk did a pretty good job of taking the guy down. And you guys already know my stance. I'm very pro-LGBT rights. And I think literally believing in the supernatural claims of any religion is uh, superstitious and nonsensical. Especially when it comes to something that can be psychologically and even physically harmful to, to someone else, like performing an exorcism. There's children who have died as a uh, result of exorcisms, either because of a uh, rough treatment during the exorcism or because uh, medical care or sustenance is withheld. Another example of harmful superstitious beliefs is, is with uh, Christian scientists. And as I always like to say half-jokingly, not scientists who happen to be Christian, but Christian scientists, um, members of one of those sects who believe that it's sinful to rely on modern medicine and you should eschew modern medical care and rely on prayer to uh, heal your sick child, even if they're terminally ill or even if it's something that modern medicine could uh, easily remedy. Yeah, but here it is, 2014, and we're still electing uh, 
people like this, it's uh, kind of scary and it gives you something to think about. And it wasn't like he won by a narrow margin. He he won the election quite handily. So I don't know what that says about America or uh, Colorado uh, in particular. But on to the next thing. So I found a really interesting video online. It was a YouTube video published by someone uh, who goes by the brazen handle, Atheism is Unstoppable. It was a video of a really old episode of Oprah. I think it was actually before she got uh, her eponymous show. So it was. It might have been some kind of morning show or something like that, but she was the host of it, and the format was uh, really similar to uh, the, the Oprah Winfrey show that we're all familiar with. Now, I had known that Oprah had often promoted... Uh, new agey kind of things, for lack of a better term, uh, like The Secret. But I didn't know that she had this kind of chip on her shoulder towards atheism. But it makes sense in retrospect when you think of the kind of new age pseudoscientific stuff that she embraces. Now, this video was old. I think in the description it might have said that it dated back to 1984. I'm not sure. It sure looks like it could have been from uh, the 80s or uh, maybe the 90s at the most. And it's funny, I've talked a lot about the Freedom From Religion Foundation on the show. And, well, perhaps not that extensively, just in passing on a number of occasions while I talk about the controversial uh, topic of atheist billboards and sometimes I would get in trouble, uh, so to speak, with some of my listeners, because even as a non-believer, I thought that some of the billboards were kind of over the top or too in your face. Um, but other than that, I have never really known that much about the Freedom From uh, Religion Foundation. So it was very interesting to me to hear Oprah's guests, because one of her guests was... Annie Laurie Gaylor, who's now a co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. And I don't know if it was a fledgling organization at the time of the Oprah interview, but she was on with her mother, and they were talking about how they were using the organization to offer support to people who were kind of fleeing religion. And another of Oprah's guests was Dan Barker. And I've often heard fellow non-believers and atheist podcasters, etc., mention Dan Barker in passing. But I also, I uh, have to admit, I didn't know too much about him either. And it's funny because after the fact, I went and watched some uh, recent videos of Annie Laurie Gaylor speaking and of uh, Dan Barker engaged in some debates it's funny looking back at the Oprah video and realizing just how young they were at the time. In the Oprah video, Dan Barker is thin with a full head of black hair. Uh, now he's got kind of male pattern baldness, and he's um, I think he's in his 60s now. Um, and Annie still looks good. She was just younger at the time of the Oprah interview. I think she was. Uh, she looked like she could have been in her 20s at the time. Dan Barker looked like he might have been in his 30s or something like that. But hey, we all get older, man. Uh, like I said, that video was decades ago. And it's kind of an atheist love story. At the time of the Oprah uh, interview, Dan Barker and Annie didn't know each other. But it turns out that not long after their appearance on Oprah, they became a couple and eventually got married. And I believe they run the Freedom From Religion Foundation together now. 
And just to give some background, Dan Barker was originally a Christian preacher, and I think he was active as a preacher and a Christian musician. Um, I'm actually looking at Wikipedia right now. Um, for about 19 years before he eventually left Christianity. And uh, Annie is not only, uh, Annie, like I'm on a first name basis with her, is uh, not only an atheist activist, uh, but she's also uh, a feminist activist as well. And to interrupt myself for a moment, uh, just to make you aware in case I've piqued your curiosity concerning the video, I posted a link to it on the Weekend Out Facebook page, so you can check it out there, or you can hunt around for it yourself on YouTube. Rather than playing you a bunch of clips, I'll just try to concisely generalize what my issues with the uh, video were, or what my thoughts were. First off, although I should have been surprised, I was still taken aback by just how ignorant both Oprah and her audience seemed to be regarding atheism. It also seemed like a very biblically and historically illiterate audience, uh, too, I might add. And there were a lot of kind of logical mistakes and arguments that, that as non-believers, we're probably all too familiar with that both the audience and Oprah uh, tried to hurl at the atheist panel. One thing that members of the audience asked a couple of times was, if you don't believe in God, uh, if you're not religious, where does your moral framework come from? And I personally find that question insulting in a couple of ways. I think on the one hand, it shows a lack of faith in humanity, and on the other, it shows a lack of scientific knowledge as well. I mean, humanity is capable of some horrible brutality, obviously not speaking on an individual level, uh, although individuals do uh, all too often commit monstrous deeds. You just have to watch the uh, daily news. But, um, but I'm speaking more as a whole, as a species. You know, war, genocide, pogroms, rape, murder, crusades, inquisitions, terrorism, etc., etc. And I don't want to get into a long, drawn-out philosophical discussion yet again about uh, animals and what our duty as moral beings might be to them. But when you think of our treatment of animals, we're one of the the most brutal species on earth if you think about the mass scale on, on which we uh process other living beings for resources think about factory farms where animals such as pigs that are probably that are uh, probably at least as intelligent as dogs get slaughtered on mass on a daily basis uh killing elephants for ivory the fact that we still have fur farms where sometimes animals are skinned alive when we have become advanced enough as a civilization where we no longer need actual fur there's all sorts of synthetic alternatives but as i've said before on the show i'm a hypocritical meat eater i have a bleeding heart for animals but i'm part of the problem too uh and i think we were designed, well, not designed as by a creator, but through evolution, uh, to be omnivorous, our species at least. Um, but just because that's how we're wired, um, you know, we've reached a point where we have enough self-awareness that we can decide whether or not our treatment of 
other living beings is ethical and whether or not we want to kind of rebel against our programming, so to speak. I think I got a little off track. What was I talking about? Uh, oh, yes, morality. Uh, morality without God or religion. Uh, but despite our vast capacity for brutality, I also think we're wired through evolution with a capacity for compassion and empathy, too. And uh, we're a social species. We're wired for tribalism and violence, unfortunately, but also empathy and compassion and uh, group cooperation. And if we look at other species, we sometimes see horrible things like cannibalism, uh, obviously the food chain, um, predation, life feeding on life in order to survive, etc., but we also see what scientists would call proto-ethics. We can see examples of altruism in the animal world, uh, examples of group cooperation. So if you're wondering where morality comes from, or at least the roots or the foundation for morality, we probably don't have to look much further than nature and the evolutionary process. And I don't know if it occurs to Christian members of the audience when they uh, pose that question, but also, Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on morality. And the grand scheme of things, Christianity is still a relatively young religion, roughly 2,000 years old. And we can find things like the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would want done unto you, etc. Uh, we can find examples of that as far back as ancient Egypt. And another hackneyed argument that they brought up, and actually Oprah brought uh, this up herself as well, is that how can you look at nature and think that there's not a god? I think specifically she may have mentioned the Colorado uh, mountains or something like that, which is a weird coincidence because isn't that where uh, Dr. Chaps is, uh, got elected, uh, Colorado? Um, and another person in the audience said something similar. How can you look at nature and think that there's not a god or whatever? And this ties into a, a subject that I like to call atheism and the transcendent. And a while back, I did an episode entitled Atheism and the Transcendent, where I think people mistakenly take examples of that range of experience that most of us are able to tap into, whether it be uh, things like a runner's high, um, feeling at one with nature, uh, feeling elevated by music, poetry, or art that sense of oneness that we sometimes feel when the ego kind of temporarily slips away. And it's funny, I've even heard or uh, seen debates where clergymen will kind of try to use this as an argument for the existence of God, too, uh, that when we feel moved by art, nature, music, landscape, uh, or experience these, these altered uh, modes of consciousness, that that in itself is uh, somehow evidence of uh, a creator. All those experiences are rich and valid, and I think life would be much emptier without them. And Christopher Hitchens used to like to use the word numinous, um, you know, or, or transcendent. I remember watching Christopher Hitchens uh, debating a pastor once. Uh, I forget his name. But anyway, I remember it really rubbed me the wrong way because the guy kind of snidely said to Christopher Hitchens, if you don't believe in God or an afterlife, then what are you transcending? Wouldn't you kind of figuratively hit a roof? And I remember thinking to myself, well, it doesn't need to mean transcending the mundane to the divine. 
know, it can simply mean transcending your normal mode of consciousness. Um, I'm not saying I know with 100% certainty whether there's some higher power out there that we can commune with or not. But obviously you guys know uh, I have very strong doubts about uh, the existence of uh, a personal creator and an afterlife. But the way I would put it is that transcendent experiences exist. The question is, do they come from God or do they come from the brain? And I tend to lean strongly towards the latter. We know if you run plays for 15 minutes, you get a rush of endorphins. We know if you take uh, an antidepressant or a street drug like ecstasy, um, your serotonin gets boosted and you feel euphoric. You have a few drinks, you have an orgasm. Hopefully that didn't sound too crude. Um, you know, listening to music, looking at nature, all these things that either elevate mood or make us feel like we're transcending our normal mode of consciousness or transcending ourselves in a sense. Um, well, we know there's a direct correlation between those things and brain chemistry. Just like on the negative side, when someone gets all those plaques and tangles in the brain associated with Alzheimer's, as the brain becomes compromised, it seems that the personality or the self becomes compromised as well, as if the individual self is deteriorating along with the brain. So it seemed that there's a direct correlation between the brain and the self. And that's why I personally believe that consciousness is an emerging property. And that video led me to another where Oprah's interviewing this older woman who happened to be an atheist, but she's but she kind of describes herself as a spiritual atheist. And when the woman is talking about how she experiences that kind of primal, uh, for lack of a better term, awe when she's out in nature, um, or even when you know, when she goes out in her backyard, Oprah tries to do a kind of gotcha thing where, where she's saying that that awe is God. Um, the way I read it, she was almost like thinking, well, duh, um, you're an atheist, but... How could you be an atheist if um, you've experienced that type of awe? So it seems like she honestly mistakes those kind of moments of euphoria of being intoxicated by nature as either being evidence of God or being one uh, and the same with God. Now, if you believe in pantheism or some kind of romanticized idea of nature as God, that might be one thing. But we know that's probably not what Oprah and others are talking about when they say they think that somehow those spiritual, and I'll put that in quotes, experiences are proof of a higher power of a, or of a creator of some kind. And I put spiritual in quotes because I think um, spiritual, like God, are these vague terms that are really open to interpretation. And in order to further a conversation, I, I think it's a good idea to try to define what we mean when we say things like spiritual or God. For me, spirituality is just kind of a metaphor for those transcendent moments in life. Um, but as I already expressed, I believe they most likely have their root in the brain. And of course, they brought up another old chestnut that I absolutely hate. And here's where Pascal's wager comes in. Uh, Pascal is a 17th century French mathematician and philosopher, and of course, uh, Pascal's wager is named for him. It's an argument that he 
came up with that Christian apologists are still using today. And to put simply, the essence of Pascal's wager is that if you're not sure whether or not there's a God, if there's even a chance that you might go to hell if you don't, um, then the more prudent decision is to believe, just in case. And I actually find this idea really offensive. And I think in a way, maybe believers should find it offensive too, because I think it's... uh, it kind of portrays God as a kind of cosmic bully. If you don't believe, you'll spend eternity in hell. It doesn't paint a very flattering portrait of God. It kind of portrays him, her, or it as this kind of egomaniacal punish you for all time for not praising him or acknowledging his existence. And uh, Dan Barker has an awesome response to Pascal's wager. And I think he actually calls it Uh, Barker's wager, and he says that, what if there is a God, but he will only reward you if you display enough, basically, integrity and intelligence and free thought to not believe without sufficient evidence? Uh, Maybe then you should not believe, (laughs) just in case. And I think that's brilliant, and and I think it also points out a logical flaw Uh, with Pascal's wager, that you can make up almost anything and then try to use fear as a motivator for belief. You could say, what if Odin or the flying spaghetti monster uh, are the one true god? Should you then believe in them just in case? Not only does it seek to uh, motivate out of fear, which is horrible, but also tries to disguise itself as a logical or rational proposition. You know, on the surface, maybe it does make uh, sense in a way to believe just in case. It sounds kind of prudent or rational, but still it's asking you to believe in something that can't be proven. And as I said, we could fill in the blank with anything instead of Jehovah or Yahweh, pick your God or entity. One funny thing uh, about Dan Barker, and I hope I'm not coming off like a jerk for saying this, because I actually really admire him. I'm I'm glad I learned about him. But I noticed when I first watched that video of him back in the 80s being interviewed by Oprah, he repeatedly used the word evidences as if it's plural for evidence. You know, he's talking about the uh, lack of evidence for the faith claims of Christianity, which led him to be an atheist. I never heard the word evidences used that way before, and so I was thinking to myself, is evidence is really a plural form of evidence? So I looked it up, and I don't think it is. I think you can say that something evidences something, but evidences can't be used as plural of evidence. Evidence is plural of evidence. Um, but anyway, I, so I was watching more recent uh, videos of Dan Barker, where now I think he's either in his late 50s or in his he might be in his mid-60s. And he was debating Dinesh D'Souza, and he sounded so learned and intelligent. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, I mean, he he handled himself well in the Oprah interview, too. But I was really impressed by how much he had grown and how much he had learned in, in the interim. But then, boom, he did it again. I think like twice he said, evidence is plural. So at first I thought maybe, you know, I watched the original video, it was just some naive mistake like we all um, make when we're young. I think we get 
a better grasp of the language as we uh, go through life, hopefully. But then, bam, he's in his 60s and he's still saying evidences. It's such a little trivial thing. I know I'm being a dick, but I found it funny. Um, but obviously, I make uh, my share of mistakes like we all do. Uh, I can't even count how many times I've had to come on this show and correct things that I've said. But yeah, Dan Barker, uh, he's a really sm smart guy. And I think he has grown a lot since um, that day on... Uh, Oprah's show. He's a great debater and he really knows his stuff. I don't know if he's self-taught or not. I'm sure that having been a preacher for almost two decades doesn't hurt. Probably gives him extensive knowledge of the Bible and what it contains and uh, also in how religious uh, people think. Um, he has that benefit of having a kind of insider's perspective. But he, uh, but he seems to be very well-versed on a lot of different topics. He seems to have a decent grasp on ideas relating to quantum mechanics, astrophysics, biology, science in general. Uh, like I said, I don't know if he's self-taught or not, but when I was watching him uh, clashing swords with Dinesh D'Souza, I thought he held his own pretty damn well. Um, perhaps even better than uh, Dan Dennett did in a recent video uh, I watched. Well, I don't know how old the video was, but um, it might have been at Tufts University where I think uh, Daniel Dennett uh, teaches. I don't know if he still does, but at the time that the debate was recorded, uh, he, he was still teaching at uh, Tufts. And Tufts actually isn't that uh, far from me. But I remember I was really impressed when I was watching that debate between uh, Daniel Dennett and um, Dinesh D'Souza. In case you're not familiar with Daniel Dennett, he's one of the uh, so-called four horsemen of new atheism, uh, along with Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, and the late Christopher Hitchens. Uh, but he's a noted philosopher, and uh, and during that debate, he came out swinging, and he, he was doing great, but uh, I think he might have lost a little footing further into the, the debate and uh, I think D'Souza can have that effect on people. He's kind of smarmy and sarcastic, and he takes this scattershot uh, approach that leaves his adversaries with a lot of kind of cleaning up to do when they, they get their turn to uh, return to the podium. But uh, Dan Barker did a really good job, I thought, against D'Souza. But with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, you know the deal. You can listen on Stitcher now. You can like the show on Facebook. And I would consider it a personal favor if you would do that. Uh, I want to kind of try to grow the Facebook page and get more conversations going on there. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. You can review the show or subscribe to it through iTunes. You can also subscribe by going to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. That's where I host the feed for the show. Uh, you can also check out the archives there. If you're feeling generous, you can use the PayPal widget on the official Weekend Out Podbean page. Uh, that that was a lot of alliteration uh, to donate as little as 99 cents to the show's upkeep. Also, you can check out the YouTube channel. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, some listeners uh, had been requesting that I come up with a way to uh, take calls from listeners. So I've done that uh, using Google Voice. And the show's not live, but you can still call and you can leave a message for me. You can ask me a question, uh, can give some feedback, positive or negative. 
I cringe a little in anticipation when I say negative, but you guys have always been pretty damn nice, and uh, so I'm really thankful for that. But anyway, the number is 970-DOUBT-41. And as I said, it's Google Voice, so the quality isn't the best. But a cool thing is that I can download uh, your message as an audio file and then incorporate it into the show. So uh, thanks in advance, and um, all right, until next week. <laughs>